0: This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at NerdyLegion.com. Enjoy the show!
1: Carry on my wayward son There'll be peace when you are
0: done Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry no more
1: No crying anymore because this is the Apple Shock Central Podcast, episode 24, and we have got a good one. I'm Jack, and Ronnie's with me, and Martin is his slack self again and is late, but it's all good because we have somebody way cooler than Martin this time. We have Adam Glass with us. Hey, what's up? What's up, guys?
0: How's everybody doing today? What's going on, man? Good. Where were you saying Martin was? I just said he's late. He's slack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think I'm going to believe that? Martin, you're not a fan of the book, Martin? Where are you, man? <laughs> no offense, guys. I was
1: here for Martin. I'm mm-hmm. so disappointed yeah. I'm not here. I didn't yeah. get it done. Make him, yeah. Make him feel guilty. We always try to.
0: We always try to. <laughs> he's like, that guy ruined Harley Quinn for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I guess, um, so you're, you've produced some great TV series, uh, Supernatural and... Criminal Minds, and but I guess most of our audience knows you from your aftershock stuff, from Rough Riders and and the Normals. I know. I have uh, a question first. I can't ha- talk to
2: Adam Glass without asking a supernatural question because sure, oh, I I can answer it. All right. So you were executive producer for what season one through six, right?
0: Oh, no, no, through six through ten, so five seasons. Okay.
2: Okay. So. My, and this sounds weird, but from season one, episode three, because I missed the first two episodes, but I went back and watched them, right?
0: Episode three? Yeah. Dude, I wasn't on the show then, but go on. Let's see if I can answer Right, right.
2: But my favorite episode is episode 200, which is fan fiction.
0: Of course, Robbie Thompson. Great episode. I was there in the room when we broke it. Robbie's such a talented guy. He had the idea for it. And it's one of my favorite episodes, too
2: okay cool because i know there's that fine line either there's no gray area with that episode either the fandom loves it or the fandom hates it kind of thing so
0: well what i always thought is awesome about supernatural is that it could poke fun at itself right you yeah, know right. and i thought like it always had a sense of humor and that really came from you know eric who created the show kripke he always was great about that you know he'd say let's kick the piss out of it Right. And and I thought he always did such a great job of that. And there's so many episodes that I think really do that where the boys, you know, French mistake, you know, where the boys yeah. find out they're actors on a TV show and that they're yeah. douchebags. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like Jensen and Jared are always so open to make fun of themselves. So it was really great. Like, you know, my, one of my favorite lines there was uh, in 200 and in, in fan fiction. No, not fan fiction. And, uh, what was 200? No fan fiction is another episode that Robbie wrote. He, he, he loved the fiction titles. Um, but, but he, he wrote the thing and the, the boys are talking and they getting really close. And, uh, Dean's like, what, what, what's that? What's going on there? (laughs) (laughs) now? That's the boy melodrama. And he's like, you know, little gay. you know, like, like, you know, he, it it just played so into all that stuff. And once again, Robbie was so, uh, talented and was such a fan of the show himself. Right. He turned around and really knew, looked at the show through the lens of a fan. So I think that's why a lot of his episodes really land with the fans, because he was a big fanboy himself. I was a fan, but I mean, Robbie was like out of control fan.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So what if you had to pick an episode, would it be one that you are on board with or did you enjoy it more like out of the box looking in type thing?
0: Well, you know, it's really funny for me, and I and, and obviously, you know, you look at the episodes you wrote. You know, sometimes it was sort of the luck of the draw, but I early on, I, I always liked, you know, and I think the show owes a lot to Buffy, which I was a fan of, mm-hmm. and the X Files, and all that stuff that I grew up watching. Right. And I always loved what you call the Monster of the Week episodes. Like to mm-hmm. me, um, you know, I know people, and you know, I'll be blaspheming for saying this, <laughs> I totally think that like the angels and, and the devil stuff was all great stuff and really helped actually give the show. And Eric will say that they stumbled onto that and it really gave the, the show, the the life that it has today. But I was always interested in sort of the in and out episodes and sort of the case of the week, the monster of the week episodes. So that's why I tended yeah. it. Right. Right. Um, so those were always uh, my favorites. And, you know, I wrote this thing, bad boys. That I really always loved where Dean turns around and mm-hmm. you find out he, he was uh, as a kid, he, ended up in a um you know in uh, a foster home for like bad kids and you know right. and had a chance to sort of like an orphanage almost you know but that he had a chance for a regular normal life and you know and and then he, he goes back for his brother and 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 real you know he gave up so we realized because always we thought it was sammy in college gave up the life and we realized oh no actually dean gave up something yeah and you know look i, I I got you know both, I think, sort of good and bad about this. You can't help but take your own life experiences and put it into the character. So you know, right. a lot of that was me talking about things that I did in my childhood or anything like that, and I really related to Dean. Um, I think it's not so much your favorite episode. I think it's like for me – and I, I actually had this conversation with Robbie just a few weeks ago. It's the episodes you didn't get to write.
2: You oh, know? yeah. And you're
0: yeah. like you – know, and so, like, when five year five came up and I had written, like, 16 or 17 episodes, there was one more episode I really wanted to do that I never could get past the goalie. And it was um, an episode where Sam turns around and – because I really wanted to do a Sam episode because I always used to get crap for being like, oh, he just loves Dean. He's a Dean boy. <laughs> I do love Dean. <laughs> um, but I did really love Sam and I literally love Jared. I think he's such a good actor. Uh, but I wanted to do this whole thing where um, – He somebody back at Stanford, like basically like the opening of the show, like you have a college Mm -hmm. couple and they're messing around in their dorm room. And all of a sudden, Sam, not like just like what happened to Sam's girlfriend, uh, the girl ends up on the ceiling and she burns and he gets the boys to go back to Sam's old stomping grounds. And when he shows up, also the mother of his girlfriend shows up because she, too. And she's like, you know, saw it and like this is familiar. So all of a sudden he has to confront his past. And he right. has to, okay. And I just really wanted to tell that story. And it never seemed to work. I always tried to do it. I also had a story where they brought dad back and you realize that actually he's a shapeshifter, but he doesn't remember. He sort of like had an accident and he shaped mm-hmm. into John. And and uh, But he really thinks he's John. So it's even more sad and the boys really want him to be John. Mm-hmm. And so the end of the episode is they have to kill the shapeshifter who looks like their dad and is the closest thing they had to their dad. Yeah, and I had a bunch of episodes I wanted to do that I never got to doing. With that said, also like creating, co-creating the Men of Letters and right. the Grandpa, you know, Henry and Time After Time. Ta- like there were some episodes that I really, really uh, feel blessed and lucky that I got to write and creating Abaddon and you know all those things. So I, I yeah, man. I mean, I remember walking to my first Comic Con and seeing a girl dressed as Abaddon. I was like, oh my Whoa. god, I hated that. That's yeah. awesome. That's right? Yeah. Like, like you know, and and so. Um, I always joke, I said, I, I tell my wife this all the time, I really have to do something that is more successful in my life than Supernatural, else when I die, by the way, it'll, it'll, it's going to happen anyway, they're going to be like, Supernatural writer, Adam Glass. <laughs> you know?
2: Well see, that's uh, funny that you mentioned that, and we'll transition to why you're actually here, but like one of our listener questions was, since you being a successful TV writer, what made you want to to get into the comics and write comics that way.
0: I've been reading comics since literally I'm four years old. And uh, I, I said this in an article recently. It's a huge shout-out to a guy who I have not seen or heard of. When I was four, I had a neighbor named Eddie Pagan. And this is in the Bronx, where I grew up, in a place called Pelham Parkway. And um, I grew up, and my neighbor, this kid, Eddie Pagan, was a few years older than me, just loved comic books, and he was nice to me, and he gave me his comics. And I remember the first comic I read, I want to say, was... Um, tarantula and spider-man you know black tarantula or something like that was a shot on the cover and he's like kicking down onto on spider-man and like you know and i'm just hooked instantly you know and so i've read comics like since i was a kid like religiously and i look i i never hide my age i'm 48 i came up at a great time you know i started with you know sort of the neil adams you know sort of batmans and detective comics and you know, and then I moved on into the '80s and sort of like got into Teen Titans. You know, Mark Wolfman and George Perez, right? Yeah. And uh, Judas Contract but during the last writer's strike, which I want to say was somewhere between eleven and twelve years ago. I was actually walking a picket line. You know, I was already a TV guy, and I was mm-hmm. walking. Right, I was actually walking, and I met this guy named Mike Benson, who was writing Moon Knight at the time, and uh, we started talking. And we hit it off, and we're the same age, and we read all the same comics and loved all the same stuff. And I actually shared the story with him that when I was a kid, um, my mom – I was raised just by my mom and my grandma. I didn't have a dad, and uh, you know, comic books were a real escape for me. And right. I'll never forget, I, I one day get called to the school therapist. You know, because apparently I had been locking myself in the room crying and been depressed, and my mom was like, didn't know what was going on. And so the school therapist talked to me for like an hour and a half, two hours, and I come home that day, and my mother comes into my room, and she's like, Where is it? I want it now. I'm like, What are you talking about? And she's like, That freaking comic book, where is it? <laughs> and and why I was so depressed and upset was that Beta Ray Bill took Thor's hammer. Uh, and I was just so devastated by this. So I remember telling this story to Mike Benson, and and, and Mike was like, You know, that, and as our, our relationship grew and as we're walking in the line, he started saying, you know, I'm writing this Deadpool book. I was like, oh, I love Deadpool, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, we started talking more and more about it. He's like, you should be writing this book with me. And I was yeah. like, oh, wow. Like, I really wish I could. He's like, well, I'm sort of, you know, I, I need help because I'm doing all these other things. And yeah. and like, could you come in and, and sort of maybe help? And he called Axel Alonso. And I had this whole conversation with Axel. And I sent a writing sample. And all this and at the time, I was actually on. Uh, what was I on? I was on a show called The Cleaner, so it was like nothing yeah. or anything like that. So I uh, they I went on it, and that was suicide. Uh, that was Deadpool Suicide Camps. Okay, and and so like I really lucked out because I sort of it was a great story. Deadpool couldn't have been hotter. Uh, it was a New York Times bestseller, and then me and Mike wrote a series of books together. I got to do Luke Cage Noir. I got Cool right. Pulp. Pulp. I got to do some more Deadpool one shots. You know, I'd done all these different stories. And then what ended up happening um, was I then moved on to Cold Case. And then after Cold Case, I moved on to um, Supernatural. And actually, I was at San Diego Comic-Con. And I know all the comic book guys because, you know, going to comic book stores my life and writers, and you meet people. And someone said, you know, who's a big Supernatural fan? I said, who? And they're like, Dan Didia." I'm like, get out of town. They're like, so they introduced me to Dan, and Dan's like, why aren't you writing for us? And I was like, I'd love to write for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and so um, I started to write. So they had a Justice League annual, JLA 80th yeah. annual. And I'll never forget this story. I'm walking with my son into a comic book store, and I get a call, and they're like, Dan Didio and Jim Lee's on the phone for I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> friends messing with me. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, uh huh, right, sure. So, you know, I, I so admire Jim Lee. Um, always such a big fan of his. So I got on the phone, and they said, Yeah, we need to do like a supernatural s story for this GLA idiot. So I ended up doing this like Dante Inferno story for them, and they liked it so much. They said, Oh, um, we're doing this new thing called Flashpoint. Ah. And, and so I said, Okay. And they were like, You want to do Legion of Doom? I'm like, Yes, Super Friend, <laughs> Legion of Doom. I like, am yeah, right. so psyched you know, black mantra and all this stuff. And they're like, can you meet with Jeff Johns in like an hour and a half? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. So I like typed up all my ideas and everything. So I go into this meeting with Jeff who I'd never met before. He's a sweet guy. And I said, um, Hey, uh, yeah, I love Legion of doom and Sinestro and, and all this stuff. And I have this idea. And he's like, yeah, none of them are in it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> none of them, it's like heat wave. I'm like heat wave from Flash's Rose galleries. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I wrote like, basically what I thought was like I wrote this prison story and he ends up like muling in Plastic Man who comes out of him like you know like and all this and Plastic Man's a badass and evil guy I just thought it was the most kick ass like thing fans hated it like I never like I <laughs> never, like I had, had such a privileged career up to that point and all of a sudden I'm like getting all the reviews and people are just like who is this guy you know TV Hollywood guy go to hell and I was like oh my but DC liked it enough that they said to me um, you know, we're, if you were to do any series, and they sent me a list actually of books. And, um, I said, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, I was a big fan of John Ostran's Suicide Squad. And they said, um, really, why would you do Suicide Squad? And I said, oh, I think Time and all this stuff. And I talked to them, I said, but I have one caveat. I think Harley Quinn should be in it. And they're like, why Harley Quinn? And I gave them my reasons why. And, um, and they went for it. And then it was sort of lightning in the bottle. Like, you know, right. sit here and say, I, oh, I knew, I had right. you no know, idea. Like,
2: Right. Sure.
0: Yeah. And that book really took off, and sort of, you know, gave me, you know, I think coming off of that, I could yeah. really do. Anything. He did. So, he did about
1: twenty. What is it? About
0: 15, 20 issues of it. Twenty or twenty-one issues. I can't remember something like that. But what ended up happening, which was funny, is like the next move would have been like go do another big book, and I decided to uh, instead go do independent books. So, yeah. uh, from a career point of view, people were saying to me, "Well, why are you doing that?" Well, one, I was incredibly fortunate that I had a TV career. Right. And so, um, it wasn't a money thing for me. So, I just after that experience, as good as it was, I just wanted to control my own universe. Yeah. And you know, yeah. when you're writing a big book, you have to think about everything. Like I remember, we'd be in these story arcs we'd be doing, and then all of a sudden they'd be like, "Yeah, uh, you got to do a crossover with resurrection." Right. <laughs> right. But i'm in the middle of my and they're like yeah just wrap that up and you'd be like right. oh god you know right. and then of course the review would come out and they'd be like and this story just dropped off sure. last <laughs> you'd be like shit <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> like I, I, not
0: that talk, i i knew that that storyline had been told but i now right. have been given march wars and in all fairness to dc they have a whole universe to worry about yeah. right? right so right so for them i understood but for me sometimes it was a little hard um so I got out of that, and I actually took about a year off of comics, and just focused on my TV career, and wrote some movies and did some stuff for the Weinstein Company and some horror films and all that stuff. And then, when it was time to sort of say, "Hey, I have all these ideas," I knew Mike Marts from DC. He actually is the guy who helped me get uh, Harley Quinn on the on the Suicide Squad. Hmm. So uh, Mike, I saw was starting a new company. I reached out to him. I sat down. The first thing I pitched him in Aftershock was Rough Riders, and they said, "Don't pitch us anything else. We want to do that." Yeah, hmm. I was like. Awesome. <laughs> so
1: yeah, uh, and that I, book is fantastic, by the way. Right. I appreciate it.
0: it's that's a lot of that's
1: fun. one of our favorites on this podcast for sure. Has been. Yeah. Since you started it. Oh,
0: that's yeah. awesome, man. I really appreciate. It. I love writing the book. I love history. I love those characters. Um, I just it is truly if I if everything brought me as much joy as writing that book, yeah. I'd be that.
1: <laughs> so before we go to Rough Riders, though, I want to throw you a hardball. Throw me. Because yeah. you're, <laughs> you're supposed to be politically correct and not ask this, but that's not how I roll. <laughs> no. Okay. So um, since, you, since you've Jack. done some work with Marvel and DC, yes. and this podcast network has a DC and a Marvel podcast, and we always jokingly sort of war between the DC and Marvel fans. And, and I'm and, on both of them. And Ronnie's on both of them. <laughs> so which side would you pick? Do you consider yourself more of a Marvel or DC guy? You know, what's interesting is I
0: actually have had this conversation before. When I was growing up, you read both. Like right. nobody view anything. Like so, it's so crazy to me that it's become this. Like you're left either left or right side. Yeah, either left or right side. Because yeah. I grew up and you read. That's, just that's I my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, and I say, you know, I think what you'd always say is, you know, uh, like, I, you know, I always say, like, yes. Does Marvel have some a more interesting lineup? Uh, in some ways, they do, but I think DC has the greatest comic hero in Batman in right. Yeah,
1: so see, Martin's uh, missing out. That's Martin's guy. Yeah, Martin loves Batman. So
0: again, yeah. Martin, glad you're missing this man.
1: Thanks. <laughs> Okay, that's a good answer, because if, if you only said DC, I was going to edit it out, but nah, I guess I'll leave it. Hey, look, man, I like you saw, I cried over Beta Ray Bill
0: stealing Thor's hammer as a right. kid. I, right. By the way, I'll go, this is how nerdy I am, okay, back in the day. I read every West Coast Avenger. You
1: there
0: know? you go. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, that should yeah. say a lot about how much I liked Marvel. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, can you, you can see this. Yes, it's amazing. And none of the listeners can, but I just held up a Rough Riders Nation copy. And, and a picture of my shirt off, which was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, you tease teams from other generations in this book. Mm-hmm. And yes. there's like a team well, it's the night generate, it's teams from the 1920s all through the up to the 2000s. Um, yeah. Will we ever get to see a story from some of these other teams? You know, that's a question for Aftershock and Mike Morris.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Have you picked pay- up? They called me tomorrow and said, write one. I'd, I'd do it in a second. Um, you know, I've always said this about Rough Riders. Uh, to me, it's—I've always had these four chapters in my mind, and I just finished the arc on the second chapter, which um, you know will be uh, is the McKinley assassination uh, uh-huh. one. And uh, you know, they always let me know usually, you know, towards the end of the run, you know, are you going to get another chapter? And I already pitched them the third chapter, which <laughs> is really cool. It's uh, Houdini was famous for breaking up um spiritualism and seances and fake stuff right. and so really what the episode's about is sort of like a bunch of spiritualists and seance people who accidentally let something in and wow. that they don't know about. So you know, every like so it's more of a horror sort of uh episode and 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 stuff like that. And so like H P. Lovecraft's part of it right. and awesome really cool and, and it's houdini who has to sort of go to everybody this time and get the team together it says something evil has crossed over and we got to put it back in the box or things are going to get bad right. and it's and so it's also sort of more of a houdini point of view because it's been mostly roosevelt mm-hmm. you know he's always going to be part of the big pov and at this point his in his presidency too he's in the middle of his presidency and very popular right and and then the fourth one is world war one and sort of the end of their their lives and their careers and seeing them older and seeing them sort of thing. And so like my goal and my dream is to, to write all four chapters of that. You know, I, it's on you fans. Mm-hmm. So go out and buy the book and make my dreams come true. Yeah. Um, there you go. And and with that said, you know, if they ever wanted to do more, uh, and like you said, take one of these other teams, the twenties team, 30 team, the eighties oh. team
1: is I love the evil. I love the seventies one. Yeah. The that's the seventies mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali, evil, Knievel, Teddy's daughter, right? Alice Roosevelt, Carl Alice Sagan, Roosevelt. and Bruce yeah. Fregan Lee? Yeah. That would be amazing.
0: That's like one of my favorites. Um, Alice Roosevelt was such a fascinating character, and I talk about her a lot in the book. She, her, her most famous saying, which I love, is she, – and she's known for this. She had it written on, like, on our pillow in her house. It's her biggest quote. If you don't have something nice to say about somebody, sit next to me, uh, <laughs> which I just love. It says so much about who she is. Yeah,
1: for sure. Are you a so, big history
0: buff? Giant history buff. I mean, I think the one thing about those books, um, you know, from the time I was a real little kid, I loved Houdini. Um, growing up a Jewish kid in New York, there were we didn't have that many heroes, and now we have Wonder Woman, by the way, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, I tell to my kids, I'm like, you don't understand. We were not hot and athletic and heroes, <laughs> you know. Right. So I'm like to death. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, big shout out to Gal. Yeah. but uh, she was great, by the way amazing amazing um but so i've always houdini to me was like really the first superhero like you know you really think about it all the stunts and the amazing things he was doing in the 20s and Mm -hmm. i imagine if you were a kid at that time you must have looked at him like a superman you know um so i always loved him and then teddy Roosevelt's always been my favorite president so Mm -hmm. i always was fascinated by him and there's a famous picture of the two of them together on a boat they met oh wow from the time as a kid i always loved that picture and actually huh. had a copy of it used to hang it in my office so i always wanted to do a story about the two of them so when the time came to sort of put the rough riders together it was no it was to me it was really clear i'm also a giant boxing fan boxing historian yeah and so johnson i knew everything about him okay. he was easy uh edison you know was the steve jobs of his time you know there's that sure. great moment in the steve jobs movie where he says you know Uh, Some people play the orchestra, you know, play in the orchestra. I play the orchestra. I mean, he really was, you know, he had an ego like no one's business. But you have to really look at it. I I know I put it as a line in there, but it was really true. I mean, to him, the only two people ever gave light to the world was him and God. You know, so he saw himself. And so he was arrogant. You know, he wasn't this nice, sweet old man. I mean, he was a you know, he was he was a businessman and he uh, stole a lot of stuff. From people, but in his eyes, didn't steal it because he gave them the place to work from it. Right. Uh, the person I didn't really know anything about was Annie Oakley. Who, oh my God, talk about a badass! I mean, yeah. she like the more I learned about her, I was just blown away by her. I mean, she really is the closest thing to a mutant. I mean, she never missed. I mean, the Indians, you know, she did a, the Wild Bill show and she would tour with them. And like, you know, the the famous Indians, you know, they just turned around and they they just thought she was literally. Like uh, a gift from the gods, like they just never saw anybody like her before, and just the way she carried herself, and a woman in that time, and you know she could drink, with the best of them outshoot out shoot anybody. Um, she was truly an amazing character. Actually, the, the greatest story about her that's not in any of the books is uh, William Randolph Hearst, who was the sort of head of yellow journalism in the Hearst papers, uh, basically wrote an article about a woman with the same name in Chicago, knowing it would sell papers, who got arrested for vagrancy and prostitution. And so they put her pictures everywhere, they put it in, and he knew what he was doing. She sued him and went to court for six years and was the only person to take him on because it was her name and her reputation. And she took on William Randolph Hearst and the big papers and, and won. And had they had to do a retraction. to pay her all this money and all that stuff. But that's the kind of gal she was, you know. Um, somebody once said she didn't do anything for, like, she never marched for woman suffrage and she never, you know turned around and was like part of any of those groups, but her life, right, what she was doing for women's suffrage, like there probably isn't woman rights without an Annie Oakley. So, right. or, which speaks to another part of it is like in Annie Oakley, right? You have a woman, you have uh-huh. a Jane Houdini and you have African American and Jack Johnson. You have three others in a time where, so they to me, they're the modern version of our story. They're right. the people that we can relate to and look back to, because these are three people who at the end of the day, you know, really were outsiders in their own society. And yet, yeah. you know, found, worked their ways to a place where they were some of the most famous people in the world. And remember, too, that's, this is a different time back then. You can right. count on one or two hands how many famous people there were in the whole world.
1: Sure. Right. You know
0: what I'm right. saying? So, like, yeah. you're, and this team, five of them are there.
1: Yeah. Right. It's not the TV generation. So, oh. yeah. Word okay. has to spread, Maybe spread around slowly. Theory. Queen Victoria, Mark
0: Twain, you know, like, I'm just trying to think of that time. There was not that many famous people. Right. Right. Oh, so it's, it's, you know, that's the other thing about it. That's really cool and interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So do you already know a lot or is there more like research that you have to do to make sure that you throw those little softballs in there, those little nuggets, Easter eggs, you know, in there to get it, to make it where it's alternate reality but pretty much
0: close Um, I try to stay emotionally true to what's really happening to the characters and then I also try to take real history and put it in I know most of it Um, it's been very little research because my life has been the research I mean I'm the guy who literally goes on vacation and reads you know uh, the River of Doubt, which is you know Teddy Roosevelt's journey down the Amazon River, you know, after he lost the presidency. Like I've always been fascinated by those kind of stories and have read all those type of biographies and have seen all those documentaries. Okay. So a lot of it I already know. And then I try to mix it, but I mean, that's why. Interesting enough, I had a couple of school teachers come up to me at different events, and they're like, "I'm using your book to teach history in my class." That's so, awesome! Uh, yeah, that's great. You know, like you know, like you're like, "Wow, thank you so much." Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'd was, go back to college for Rough Riders 101. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, it was funny. We were in Portland over Thanksgiving. It's where my wife's from, and we were in the we were in a, an Uber, and I gave my credit card at the end, and the guy says, turns to me, and he goes do you mind if I ask you something? I go, yeah, because you're not Adam Glass, the writer, are you? And I said, yes. He goes, oh my god, I'm an English teacher, and I love Rough writers, and I've been wow. showing it to my kids at school, and it was like, even my kids at that moment, was like, oh, cool, Dad. You know, you know kids <laughs> never think you're cool. Your kids right. are like, well, you know, and yeah. you, your comic books. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my son actually thinks it's really cool. I think my daughter, uh, you know, the, actually the crazy thing about it is when you do something like Supernatural, you actually, like, you know, I, I think I have like 62,500 followers on Twitter, which is Predominantly supernatural.
1: You know? right,
0: right. So she always jokes because, like, if we go to a comic book adventure, somebody comes up to me and, like, it just freaks her out. She's just like, oh, my God. I don't understand why they want your autograph.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Dad's doing dad things
0: again. Yeah. And I, yeah, Exactly. And then I, to embarrass her more, I just start dancing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. See, I have four teenagers, so I know all about it. So
0: Four teenagers? You look like a teenager yourself. You must no, start I'm young. Almost, I'm 40. I'm First one was 20, so. Yeah, that's Missouri, my fi- my friend. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> so it wasn't you, much water here. Now, with your background in TV, could you see Rough Riders as a TV series?
0: i got to be honest with you, I always saw it as a movie. Um, I just feel like it could be, do more as a movie, and it needs that kind of budget to capture the time in a real way. I feel like a TV show in some ways limited. Cut to me in a year from now, like, it's a TV show! <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> right. By the way, you know. I mean, it, look. If somebody came to me and said, you know, they wouldn't have to pull my arm too hard to make it into a TV show, right. uh, but my first instinct would be as a movie. I just think, I just think it needs to, that tapestry. That
2: yeah. Because okay. see, I think we said, if, quote me if I'm wrong, Jack. But I think, well, for me, You're anyways. Wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be like the Netflix or like a short yeah. TV series, so that way. It, each episode was, you can breathe instead of try to fit it in into two hours type thing. But I understand what you're saying with the budget type thing.
0: Yeah. You know, I just think like it's, I mean, to really capture that time and the special effects that you would need for it. Yeah. Yeah. Such a big canvas to paint on. Right. um, That I think it would, I just personally think a movie would serve better and do, and I think it should star the rock as Jack (laughs) Johnson. There you
1: go. They're we- Dwayne, Call me, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Hit me up. Hit me up. Now, yeah. why did you decide to give it a little bit of a humorous slant? Well, I can't
0: – look, I, anything I write and like actually, you know, it, and you know this from Supernatural and even in Suicide Squad, I, I always write things with a little bit of humor because I yeah. think actually yeah. – Deadpool prom- as well. Yeah, Deadpool too. I always yeah. think that there's – it's who I am. I try to think – being a smart-ass New Yorker, I always try to find Have fun. But, yeah, have fun and what's the comedy and bust balls and all that stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's a little bit of that. And I also think some of the characters, like I just, once again, said it like, you know, I think I love writing Jack Johnson and Houdini together. Like, mm-hmm. I think they're a lot of yeah. fun together. They're, they're two guys and, you know, those two, uh, you know, busting each other's balls and talking and going, right. you know, flipping through. And like I said, being others and sort of both having found their ways, even sports back then being an entertainment business, you know, how do they get through? They're entertainment people. You know, you just have a sense of humor about life and everything. So I think you know yeah. you got know, to Jack Johnson is literally at any moment can be grabbed by a mob of white people and lynched, and right, he does right. a hell. He doesn't care. Like right. He lived his life that way. That's who he was. He was like, yeah, I'm going to gamble. I'm going to box. I'm going to beat white people up. I'm going to date white girl. I don't care. Come <laughs> after me. He's such a modern guy in a time right. really was was crawling with racism, you know, and danger, and he sure. just and he, and he was. Funny and everything I read about him was he was hysterical. He was a funny guy, a smart guy, and so I just stayed true to all that.
1: Yeah. Let's see, Nick Wetmore, who's yeah one of our, uh, he's been on a couple of our podcasts a few times. Um, mm-hmm. He sent us a message that he wanted to ask you. He says, since since Adam researches his projects and does a quality job at it, does he ever release his research list so us readers can dive more into the subject?
0: Oh, that's a great idea. I should do that. I mean, I would love if people reached in more and found that stuff out. Like I said, I mean most of it is uh stuff I had already read, but uh you know, if Aftershock ever wants me to put that together, I do that in a second, you know. I mean there's so many great books out there, especially about Roosevelt. Right. Really, all of them, you know. Oh, um one of my favorite documentaries is Unforgivable Blackness. I'm not even saying it right. It's uh, uh, the jack johnson one that they did on pbs which is just tremendous and amazing who, who the guy does all the pbs uh documentaries famous documentary uh, uh,
2: yeah of what put me
0: on the spot oh uh, ken burns ken yeah So ken burns documentary on jack johnson is is huh. one of the greatest docs you'll ever watch in your life like so i would say that like i said the river of doubt is one of my favorite uh roosevelt books though there's so many great ones um Uranus Rex, you know, there's just so many great things about him. Uh, Houdini, uh, the first American superhero, is a great book. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you know, just go out there. There's so many great material on these guys. And once again, what I think will really surprise people is how modern uh, they'll come off to you. You know, I mean, Peter Roosevelt's way ahead of his time, you know.
2: I mean, All of these characters actually are.
0: I agree. I mean, yeah, even look at Edison. I mean, he's creating things. You know what I'm saying? He's creating the things. Using yeah, 150 he, 200 years later.
2: Yeah, Edison's the douchey businessman guy that we see pretty much every day now, you know. And yeah. back then, it was just like he was even like Wyatt Earp because Wyatt Earp was the douchey business guy yeah. as well. But he was just a fan favorite
0: then, you yes. know. Yes, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> they, they wrote the best book about it.
1: Mm-hmm. So um, I meant to lead with this question, and we were having such a good time that I forgot about it. But uh, how did you get hooked up with Aftershock? You know, um,
0: one of the unsung heroes of my DC Comics Suicide Squad journey was Mike Martz. Uh, when I went to do Suicide Squad, I, um, I knew I wanted Harley Quinn in it, like I said, and I had to. Mike at the time was the editor in chief, uh, not editor in chief, he was the editor in charge of the Batman family. So Patrick, uh, Pat McCallum was my editor, and he said, you know, well, we got to convince Martz. You know, if we convince Martz, we could probably get it done. And so I remember having this like long conversation over the phone with Mike and we got into the Batman family and, you know, and I sort of had said something like, well, you know, these guys keep saying ground everything. You know, if Harley Quinn truly was a worker, an employee at this facility, you know, and and was turned by – you know, a fellow inmate. I, I doubt very highly they would let her stay in the same facility. <laughs> you know, right. they would they would move her. And I said, there's a insurances, uh, you know, problems and all that stuff. And why wouldn't they send her to Belle And and here's why I think she'd be great on the team. And Mike was the one who went and fought for her and got her on the Suicide Squad. And without him, she wouldn't have been on the Suicide Squad book, and she wouldn't have been in the movie. So you know, Mike was the one who went to bat for her. So we became friends through that. And then, uh, you know, I read that he had left and all that stuff. And I reached out to just say, hey, if you do anything else, let me know. I just always liked working with you. I thought you were a great editor and an even better human being. And he said, actually, I'm starting something. You're going to be at, you know, San Diego Comic Con. And I met with him and his partners at this, like, outside Marriott bar near the thing and had a drink. And we sat down. And, like, I just remember these tiki fire things going on and everything. And I, he said, what do you want to do? And, I pitched them Rough Riders, and they literally were like, I, "I said." And then my next pitch is, which was going to be the normals, actually. Funny enough, okay. And they said, <laughs> they said, "No, like that's it. We'll do it." Like all five of them were like, "We're in," okay. you know. And I, Mike will speak to this, you know, if you interview him or talk to him. He's like, it was the first time that you know someone had pitched them, and all five of them, without having talked to each other, all knew they wanted to do the book. So was really fortunate and found the perfect group of guys to do the book with and Hmm. overall just an amazing company really support the writers and the the artists and give you sort of you know the room to explore and create and you know it's so rare yeah you find the places and you know aftershock's just been so great at you know growing talent and, and and allowing the talent and believing in the talent and 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 letting us sort of do these stories, it's you know it's 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 sort of a dream publisher to work with. Uh, I keep joking that they're ruining us for our next gig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Did they have you pick your creative team, or did, well, you know, did yeah, they yeah. did they do it, or did you do it? Well, it's
0: funny. You sit and you talk. I mean, once again, you're part of the whole process, so they'll give you a list of names mm-hmm. that they've talked to, and you know, especially for rough writers, it was Pat McCallum. I mean. Pat McCallum. It was uh, Patrick Ola, yeah. And I loved Pat's work. You know, I knew it really well, and I knew. And it was funny. I said, "Yeah." And they're like, "You know what? We'll get him to draw something." I was like, "Yeah, you don't really have to." I love Pat's work. They're like, "Yeah, let let let's see his Teddy Roosevelt." And he said his Teddy <laughs> Roosevelt, and we're all like,
1: "Yes, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Was mm-hmm. it like the high tech Teddy Roosevelt that he sent you? No, I no, want to see it. The drawing, but he just there was
0: just such strength in the drawing, and okay, you
1: know, and the thing about him that's great is like. I
0: remember like early on saying to him, look, man, like I, I'm going to send you some stuff. And I just, you know, if it's too rough or too hard or too much, you let me know. And I remember I sent him the, like, you know, this really difficult sort of like, you know, re, you know, like it was like I, I want to say it was like the Hudson River and the Brooklyn Bridge and, and all that. And he drew the whole thing. I couldn't believe it. I was just like, whoa, he's like, I love researching. So both of us love to research. So that's, you know, really great. So, like, uh, most of our emails aren't really about the books, for say. It's about the research. He's like, I saw this. And he sends me a picture. And I'm like, that's awesome. Here's a picture here. And, you know, have you read this book? And, you know, it's like we talk about it. So we're both big history fans. So uh, I, I actually can't think of anybody uh, that was born more to ru- draw this book than than Pat. And really fortunate to have him and Gabe and Sal. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to keep a team together. And sure. we've done sort of two – We've been fortunate enough to sort of do two chapters of this book, and we're hoping to do two more. So, okay. uh, we're hoping to stick together and do more. That's up to AfterShock and you know, into uh, the fans. Keep buying, right. it, keep telling AfterShock you like the book, and uh, maybe we'll be lucky and keep getting to do some more.
2: So, yeah. So, do you consider it the second chapter
0: or the second season? Say uh, it's so funny. Well, I think you know. Look, I, it's a book, so it's chapters. But in some okay. ways, yes, it's a, another way to look at it. You know, look, there's a lot of common with TV and comic books. You know, right. yeah. 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 Um, they're different yet they're the same. You know, uh, you're trying to leave every chapter with a, you know, like what's going to oh make God. people come back with a cliffhanger for the next one. You know, we do that yeah. with TV and episodes of television too. Um, yeah, they're all little mini TV shows.
2: So, is it easier? I mean, I don't want to say easy. Maybe that's not the right word, but is it easier to throw everything but the kitchen sink at like a comic? writing than it would be, like, the TV because you actually have to have live action and whatnot?
0: Yeah, I think, look, I mean, I'll, you know, an example, and this might be a segue into uh, the normals, you know, mm-hmm. which is, right. you you only have 20 pages, you know, in mm-hmm. a comic uh-huh. book. So, I, I, I you know, in a, and you have almost 55 to 60 pages in a TV series. So, right. like, I feel like I learned this lesson after doing the first um, run at Rough Riders, you know, which was, I wrote, I, it was sort of two part, two, the first book one and two was really all set up and book one came out and like, you know, people say, Oh, don't listen to the critics. And, but you know, I think we all read the reviews and, mm-hmm. and hear all the, the podcasts and everyone's like, interesting. Um, but he, you know, I wish he would have put more into book one. So then I write the formals and I'm like, I'm putting everything in the kitchen sink and the first thing and everybody's like, it's too expositional. I wish it wasn't. So it's like, you learn, you can't win either way. Huh? Um, like for the story in particular, I wanted to be a little expositional because I felt like there was so much to get out. I wanted to get to telling the story. Right. So I felt like you had to get the backstory out to get it going. So I think the difference, like I said, is like it's in some ways it's harder to tell a story in 20 pages. You know, right. so yeah. you have to have a flash and a two-page spread and, you know, all right. of thumb. Um, I remember when I was doing Suicide Squad, um, I would go back and look at all the old John Ostrander books that I loved as a kid. And I – I mean, still love. I mean, there's no Suicide Squad with John without John Osburner. He is the true hero of uh, Suicide Squad. And right. uh, but I remember, like you know, they'd have ten panels to a page, and there'd be like these huge, thick dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. uh, every page. But that's because it was a different time, you know, and that's the way storytelling was told. And and so I was blown away because like you, you can't really get away with that stuff now. So. Uh, and not in a bad way, just we live in a different time. Comic books are told in a different way. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm sort of the opposite. I, I, I was glad you sort of built up and sort of told Normals. To, so you sort of revealed the twist at the end of this, of what yes. I think, what we sort of think is going on. Um, I like that because my my perspective is a little bit different. I know number ones always sell the most, and then unfortunately, with pretty much every title nowadays, it just it, it steadily declines to a point, and then you got your readers that sort of maintain it at some at some point. But that number one, if you don't hook people with that issue, then you risk losing your audience, in my opinion. Um, yep. And I felt like this issue did that really well. Um, I had ideas of what this was going to be about, and I had seen the previews, and I wasn't sure. But by the end of this, I was sold.
0: Oh, well I yeah. really appreciate that, and now you're my favorite person, so <laughs> Ronnie, you can jump off. Um well, but
2: yeah. well actually like um Martin and I were at C two E two and you guys came on and did the panel. Yes. Yes, uh, and um what we perceived before hearing your description of it physic you know, actually in person was different than what we were thinking that it was going to be and so yeah me too it was great like you said earlier like bad reviews which i'm sure since it's your babies you know you see mixed reviews but me personally i i've seen raving reviews about both titles and especially like aftershock seems like week after week here lately that their number ones have been blowing it away and you know what last week now the normals came out and it seemed like it was getting rave reviews everywhere and I'm hooked you know that first issue I know that's what the first issue I mean I've been reading comics for 27 years now but like I know that the first issue is supposed to hook you in and get you going but that one just seemed uh it just sunk in and like grabbed me with teeth in and I'm all in on it. Yeah. Well, I I really appreciate that,
0: Ronnie, and now you're even more, <laughs> more than
1: Jack. <laughs> um, checkmate, but, Jack. Checkmate. <laughs> but Well let me tell you how much I like it even more than I did before. <laughs> no no guys, stop fighting over me. Stop, please. <laughs> um
0: well, you know, in all honesty, you know, you, you put your stories out there and, and, and you hope that you get that kind of response. And, you know, look, I mean, I, I think any great story, um, you know, will touch people. But I do think, you know, and I and I say this, Ronnie, because you sort of earlier talked about having a family. I think especially if you have a family, this really speaks to you because yeah. uh, you, you can't help but relate. And if you're a kid in a family, it relates to you. And if you're a wife in a family, it relates to you because – you know, this idea of, you know, and you talk about that Comic-Con uh, it was in Chicago, right? And I uh, was yes. yeah. actually shooting a pilot there and I ran over and on the way over it sort of hit me. I was like, you know, I wanted to sort of hold off this reveal and not let anybody know that at the end they find out they're robots because I sort of wanted that sort of, I wanted yeah. that mystery. And, right. uh, and then as I was driving over, I was like, but i had talked to the guys and they were like yeah the book's not really selling the way we want to sell it and i'm like well i guess we got we better tell people what the hell it's about and i realized that i made a, a mistake in the marketing of it and by not doing that i huh. set up a mystery and i put up all the stickers everywhere and that sort of great uh yeah. Londo cover uh-huh. and sort of like love you know and and i just loved all that stuff and Thought, so, you know, we could hook people in that way. So actually <laughs> the thing you saw me at I think was the first time that I was really like, here's what it is about. Mm-hmm, like, you know? right. Right. like, I'm not mm-hmm, – here it is, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and let people know. And I've been getting that sort of response from a lot of people which is like, oh, I had no idea it was about this.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was my experience as well. When I read the preview and whatnot, I was expecting something different. But What it, were you expecting? Uh, something extremely normal. <laughs> All the stuff I read, it, it seemed like a, a normal family going through it. It seemed like, you know, my life. And I was like, well, I kind of already experienced this. But when I, when I, when I read this and got to the end of it, I was like, okay, now this is almost like a Westworldish sort of uh, yeah. the robots are finding out they're robots in the midst of this human environment. Um yes. I don't know why it reminded me of Westworld, even though it's a completely different setting. Um, can you tell no, us anything it, about where... It, where you're going with that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. One of the the movies that really
0: uh, stood with me when I was a kid was Running on Empty, you know? I really remember loving that movie, River Phoenix and Judd Hirsch, and you know, this idea of a family trying to stay together while they're on the run, hmm. you know, and this idea of like, what is family? And, you know, is it really about blood? Is it really about, you know, what makes them stick together? And, you know, I, I did also that five years on Supernatural, which is, you know, really at the end of the day, the secret of that show is it's a story, it's, it's a story about two brothers, you know, and how much will you go through family, you know, mm-hmm. and what will you do to keep your family together? So this idea that, you know. Uh, if you if you haven't read it, spoiler alert that this, this <laughs> dad, uh Jack, who I named after Jack Sutherland.
1: Oh right. Uh, <laughs> I've been waiting uh, to get in a comic.
0: And uh, is, you know, he finds out that this life that he has lived his whole life and this thing that he is all you know, all his memories and this, this family and all this stuff, you know, they're sort of the perfect all Americana family, is really all a program and that he's only been online for like two, three years and that's sort of, you know, all a program and Uh, But the truth is, like, somebody could say that to you, but, you know, and I think what we start to explore as the book moves on is, like, what does that mean? Like, it might be a program to you, but to me, it's my reality. Right. And I still love and I still feel and I still know who and what I am. And then, you know, when everybody else finds out the truth, uh, does it keep us together, you know, or do we split apart over it? And then in sort of, you know— most sci-fi books, there is, you know, an outside force they have to worry about. So, right. it really puts them in a situation where they have to decide how they move forward and do they stay together as a family? Right. right. And so, you know,
2: yeah, yeah. Oh no, go ahead. No, no. I was just saying, like, to me, it kind of gave me like that the Truman Show kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. vibe. Um, not saying that that was a great movie no. or anything, or that's I, where I, you're I, going, but like, um i feel because you know there's obviously more out there than what we're seeing obviously in the first issue or maybe what we'll see in the first arc there's got to be the producers or whatever that's out there so i kind of yeah. got that that type yeah, you of know,
0: you're gonna definitely get uh you're gonna we're gonna build the world out a little more you're gonna find out why they were put where they were and what was the plan and and sort of like you know, what is the next step in all this? And, and I think that hopefully will surprise people and keep people interested. Hmm. You know, I, I think I spoke about this a little bit at the thing you were at. You know, you 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 know, one of the nice things I've been reading about the reviews is how real it felt. Well, it feels real because I'm writing my my worst fears of losing my own family. You know, right. yeah, these wow. are my kids and this is my wife and this is our mm-hmm. relationships and so I, I you know. My son, you know, I talk about Aiden having dyslexia. My son, Aiden, has dyslexia, you know, so like all these things, you know, my daughter is at that age where, you know, she's becoming her own person, as you know, yeah. You're yeah. starting to lose her, and yet you have to let them go a little bit so they can become the people they're going to be. So, you know, I'm really writing this from my heart and at the same time also through the lens of like my greatest fears. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I've gotten to this point where I don't want to lose this. Yeah. You know, Say and right, that's what yeah. happened with my great talking head song. Like there's a part of me is like, How did I get here? You know, I feel like it was only yesterday I was, you know, um, you know, downing, you know, six packs of beer and taking bong hits in the college dorm room and now somehow I'm you know, just yeah. like responsible dad and I have a house and I have a family. <laughs> right. And I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And, and then, you know, it's the old saying. It's like you fight so hard to become king and then how do you stay king, you know? So yeah. it's really just all coming from a real place. And it's like it's like what if I took my family and put them in a science fiction story
1: right. and
0: what would that look like? So yeah. that is what I'm doing with this and, um, and really just enjoying the hell out of it. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, someone asked this recently i'm doing something also with this book that i've never done before um i'm a guy i plan it to the t and mm-hmm. i'll write one through six in like a month like i'll just sit down and also because of my schedule i'll just say this is the month i'm dedicating to these books and you know and yeah. i go over and i just i i, I write manically and you know I'll book a week so usually it take me four to six weeks to write something this one i wrote the first five and then i said you know what i'm not going to write the final book yet I'm just going to step back and I'm going to see the art come in. And I'm going to see the response to it and I'm see how the book goes and moves on. And then like we're about to put out book four, I'll write the finale, you know, right. and you know in my head sort of what I want it to be. But I'm glad I did this because I think it's probably helped change also where I wanted to go with it because mm-hmm. I had to think about it and let it sort of, you know, bake in my head a little longer. Um, and it's going to be really cool and, and some great twists and turns. And I, I think it'll be, you know, uh, everyone will really dig it and leave the story open to keep moving forward, you know? Yep. Or be closure for some people if this is all it lives for is six issues.
2: Right. Yeah. And for me it felt like from page one to the last page, like we got there organically. I know that's ironic since we're I talking about so. robots, but like you know, some <laughs> not necessarily with your books, but like some comics, you know, you you like we were talking about earlier, how Um, when you were doing for the big two, you know, that you were getting into flashpoint. So you had to change the story arc or where you're going or whatever. But like, um, I think those books and with both rough riders and with the normals, it seems like whenever we go somewhere, we get there organically and nothing's rushed or forced.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I really try to do that with the books and it is definitely something that I have, uh, try to do you know i mean in your writing you you want everything to feel real and as organic as uh-huh. possible and the characters to be uh, emotionally truthful so i appreciate you saying that i mean it's definitely something that i i'm i'm going out of my way to try to make work and uh, glad for you it is
2: yeah, yeah. so a- as a writer i know i've heard like dan slot say this and other big writers say this but like if you would have knocked out one through six right would you have just left it or are you that type of writer that has to go back and is never done until it's
0: never perfect? I yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's the book you pitch, there's the book you write, there's the book you rewrite. Once you see the drawings, uh-huh. you know, you're always fine tuning it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like for me, I did getting those first six stories out. Usually for me, just helps me spit it out. And then when I sort of, it all comes back to me with the art, there are certain things I know excuse me, that I want that I I'm not gonna change. And then there are just things that um that, you know, you see it and you're like, oh, that doesn't work or yeah, right, right. or, or or, or, oh, I didn't think of this, but now that I see it drawn this way, you know, look, I'm really lucky, you know, Dennis Calero is a really great artist, you yeah. know, and he's drawing this in a very noir style that I, I really appreciate and love. And, you know, one of the moments in the book one that really stuck with me, and I sort of hit him when I saw it, was um, he, you know, there's this great scene after Mary and Jack discover what's going on with their kid, at least that something's wrong, and they go back to the room to talk about it, mm-hmm. and he draws it all from behind them. Almost like your, your us the reader is is we're able to sort of like take a peek, you know, yeah. or being out into this private conversation, you right. know, we're
2: the fly on the wall,
0: yeah, and it's <laughs> great, you know, and um and I remember when I saw the pages, I was like, yes, this is this is awesome, and look, some yeah. of the stuff, like the whole I thing where the kids yeah. falling out, and then like I wrote that in the script, and Dennis, of course, executed it unbelievably, and then. You no, know, uh, Adriano uh, Augusto, who's our colorist, you know, just also is just knocking it out of the park on this series. Yeah. Um, but then there are other stuff like that scene. that That's a pure Dennis. Dennis just sort of bringing his expertise to the book and, and really being able to sort of, you know, just blow us out of the water with that stuff. So um, really great team and great collaboration by all involved.
2: Like I said, I'm excited to see where it goes. I punched my ticket. I'm along for the ride. So, <laughs>
1: Well, I this, really appreciate. That, man. Is this a ongoing, or is it have a –
0: Well, you never know. Point? I mean, I I have it as an ongoing in my head, and okay. uh, either it'll be ongoing, it'll be my fan fiction that I write and stick sure. in my Facebook. <laughs> right. Uh, <I'll laughs>
1: well, if that we'll happens. Send up. Send us yeah. the uh, <laughs> conclusion.
0: I was going to say I don't own it anymore, so then I'll get no, sued. Right.
1: Oh so, uh, yeah, yeah
0: but I really appreciate that you guys are digging it man I, I I love writing it, you know I like I love writing it and rough Riders you know I've said it before, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I could get paid to do to write these kind of things and everything I did and make a great living at it, man, I'd be the happiest person. yeah in the world.
1: yeah, well, hey, we want to respect your time. I don't know if Ronnie has any more questions, um, but uh, is there anything else coming up that you want to mention with Aftershock uh, or even anybody else?
0: well you not me personally i mean obviously i've got still you know a bunch of rough Riders that you are coming out and you know i'm hoping to get a third arc on that i'm finishing up the second arc right now um and then obviously more of uh the normals cool. and uh, i'm working on a new tv show for showtime called the shy which is will be coming out next year uh and in the middle of uh, developing a bunch of projects and uh, fingers crossed that uh, i'll be bringing you more and more tv as uh as the days uh, and the years come by. I really appreciate it, uh, both you guys, man. I can't thank you enough, Ronnie and, and Jack, and thank you for uh, all the stuff you guys do for us and for Shock and being fans of our, our stuff. It's a great company, and uh, guys like you help make us uh, go out there and write and want to make it great. So, Hey,
2: it's it's guys like you who make our job easier to promote for you guys. Thank you, bro. Thank you.
0: All right, you guys have a good one. Yeah,
2: thanks, Adam. We would like to thank Adam for coming on and doing an interview with us. Uh, Super cool. We hope you guys enjoyed it as much as Jack and I did. I hate it. (laughs) Martin slacking and missed yet another interview. But if you want to tweet your hate at Martin, it's at Geekvine. If you want to tweet your love for us, Yep. It's either at Jack Sutherland at Rombar316 or you can tweet the show at Aftershock Pod.
1: Yep. See ya.
2: And that's about it i think right yep now everybody go get rough rider get caught up if you haven't nick wetmore i'm talking to you get the normals yeah i don't know i'm just rambling now so
1: <laughs> shout out this one goes out to all my bros back home michael sparkman Juan, bro i couldn't do it without you and nick, <laughs> nick wetmore to, uh... <laughs>